Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Jeff, and along with Brian, we are the hosts of this program. Hello, and welcome to the Bible Questions podcast. We're really happy that you've joined us today. We have Brian and Jeff with you as usual. And Jeff, today we're going to be talking about false teaching. And I guess we could say this is really an age-old problem, right, that's been around kind of since the beginning, hasn't it? And that's fair. And as we'll kind of get into it a little bit later on, Old Testament times, New Testament times, and probably more importantly for us and our listeners, modern day. Because as we'll see, there's a lot of false teaching out there that's going on that we better be careful. Because if we you know, listen to it, believe in it, start following it, you know, our souls could be at risk. Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly right. And this is such an important subject. And so as we go along, we'll give you some passages that we'll read and others that you can look up on your own, but just would ask you to take to heart what the Bible says about this, because really, and hopefully the conclusion that you know everyone will reach after this podcast is that it really is one of the biggest threats to you know spiritually minded people, Christians, the Lord's church, and, and so forth. And why don't we start out by just looking at how Peter warned of this in 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, he says, But there are, were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words, For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. So this one passage helps us to understand not only are there still false prophets among us, but that they use many different methods to convince us of what they are trying to teach. And so we'll get into all of that as we go along. You know, Jesus also warned us and said that we should beware of those who appear to be teaching the truth, but are deceptively teaching error. For instance, he mentions in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Man, I think that's really descriptive as to what's actually occurring here. You have somebody who you may trust that has an appearance of somebody who's godly, but if they're leading you astray, then as Jesus said, they're really wolves. And You know, it's really not limited to, for instance, just somebody who is a false teacher, but there's also out there, Jeff, isn't there a lot of teaching based on systems that have been developed and principles that have been developed by groups of people, right? So now you have a system of indoctrination and and false doctrine and so forth. Yes, indeed. And actually, I think maybe a little bit later on, we might mention some of those where As you said, it's almost like a system. It's like a collection of doctrines that sort of travel together. But when you kind of look at them, contrast them with the scriptures, they turn out not to be as truthful as people might think they are. That's exactly right. In fact, there's an overarching passage that we'll give, and then we'll really start to dive into this subject. And that's over in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, where here Paul just gives us an overall basic principle that says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and an empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, 
and not according to Christ. I think that really sums it up well, doesn't it? And I think the other thing, Jeff, that's good news is that fortunately, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, as we see in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, in the Bible, so that we have the tools we need to recognize and combat false teaching. So we're not left on our own. God gives us the tools, so to speak. Exactly. So I think what we may want to start off with is a little bit of, I don't know if definition is the right word or history is the right word, to sort of clarify for our listeners, you know, what a false teacher is, what false teaching uh, is, etc. Now, the interesting thing about that is it didn't take very long for false teaching to be introduced. In fact, Genesis, first book of the Bible, the third chapter, which is very, very early on in the biblical narrative, we see on the scene false information being conveyed. Brian, tell you what, do you want to read, how about we start with Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6? Yeah, sounds good. Here talking about Satan, and it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, as a real quick aside, people that are not that acquainted with the Bible, sometimes they'll start with Genesis, and they'll hit, you know, chapter 3, where you have this serpent or snake (laughs) talking to Eve, and they get all confused. Now, certainly from other scriptures later on in the Bible, we recognize that either this is, you know, Satan somehow working through the serpent, or in the form of the serpent, or some connection. Regardless of the mechanics... Here we have, on the scene, very early on, Satan being a false teacher. God says, don't eat it. Satan basically says, it's okay. God says, you will die. Satan says, nah, you're not going to die. And so from the very beginning, we see false, I'll say false doctrine, false teaching, and Satan in some ways as the ultimate false teacher. And of course, in that account, Genesis 3, there were consequences. So Eve listened to the false teaching, ate of the forbidden fruit, and then afterwards, you know, suffered the consequences. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, there's, you know, sorrow, pain, and childbirth for the woman. Genesis chapter 3, the next couple verses, 17 and 9 through 19, for Adam, you know, the ground has been cursed. Told you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles, etc. Uh, in the sweat of your face you will eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And even in a few verses later, they're basically thrown out or kicked out of the Garden of Eden. So basically, they had this very close, intimate relationship with God in a paradise kind of environment. They listened to false teaching, and they lost it all. So a very sad series of consequences. And unfortunately, 
consequences that we suffer from that even to the present, you know, in terms of pain in childbirth and toiling and having to labor for our living, etc. So at a very simple level, you know, we see that a false teacher is basically someone who teaches false doctrine, who teaches anything contrary to what God has revealed. And basically, the Holy Spirit through Paul tells us that this kind of person is essentially accursed. Accursed, the Greek, depending on your translation, anathema, banned, accursed. Galatians chapter 1 verses 8 and 9 indicates that with Paul writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit says, but if we or even an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And then he says it again. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. So a very serious, very somber, very sobering truth and something that we need to be on our guard against. Brian, over to you. Yeah, and along that line, you know, I think one of the other real basic and important spiritual principles for us to realize is that the truth never comes from men, but from God. Now, some might say, well, hold on a second. Isn't there 40 men that wrote what we have in the Bible today? Well, yes, that's true. But as we know, the scriptures teach us that these men were moved by the Holy Spirit And so what they wrote is actually from the Holy Spirit. Now, I make this distinction about it not coming from men, but from God, because whether it's the devil or, as we're going to see in many other passages, men that lead other people astray or men and even women who have started false religions, that teaching is coming from them and not from God. And the Bible helps us to understand not only that, but how, how to make that distinction or how to make that determination, if you will. So... You know, the Apostle Paul said, even the gospel he taught did not come from men, but from the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so we see in Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 11, Paul said, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul makes that very clear. He didn't want credit for that. It wasn't his gospel, if you will. Moses also made it clear that the teaching that men were to follow came from God. So we see that both under the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So Jeff, could I get you to read Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, where Moses talks about this? Okay. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments, which I teach you to observe, that you may live... And go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. So same principle here, that Moses made sure that they understood that everything that they were told, all of these commandments were from God, and Moses was simply the spokesman. He was the conduit, as we might say, that was passing along this truth from God. Now, under the old law, Moses revealed this truth from God as did many other prophets. And so one thing I love about the Old Testament is how God sent different messages, uh, messengers, I should say, to reveal his truth to the people. Because it didn't really matter whom it was, God was speaking through them. Now, we see under the law of Christ, which is the covenant we live by today, that God speaks to us through his Son. 
And we see that over in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, where it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so when you study the Bible, one thing that you see is that when God sent his son to the world, he was the living word. And we're told that in John 1, 1, where it says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And so Jesus was the physical manifestation of the truth who came to this earth and showed us, by the way, that the old law, the old covenant could be kept perfectly. So therefore, we don't have any excuse for sinning because Jesus kept it perfectly. He was a man when he came to this earth, but yet he at the same time revealed the truth from the Lord by living it, by teaching it, and then he also sent the Holy Spirit who fully revealed God's truth. So we see this over in John chapter 12, verses 48 through 50, where Jesus says, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him, the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. So Jesus made it clear. He was conveying exactly what the Father wanted to convey as it related to the truth. And then Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would do the same thing. So John 16, 13 Talking about the Holy Spirit, he says, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. So, you know, logically, if you kind of look at all this, we can conclude that teaching that does not come from God's word cannot be from God. And also, even for teaching that some may claim comes from God, we need to realize that you know, a false teacher can pervert the truth. And so we often say, ask them to show you book, chapter, and verse, whatever it is that they're teaching. Because if what they're teaching can't be found from the Bible, they in no way can say that that's from God. And we'll look at one other passage here, Jeff, and then I'll turn it over to you. And that's in Second Peter chapter 3. Here, Peter's talking about Paul and his teaching and how, you know, some of the things that Paul wrote, once again, the Holy Spirit through Paul could be kind of difficult to understand. And as a result, there would be those who would twist the truth. So 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 16, it says, As in also all his epistles, speaking about Paul, speaking in them of these things, in which some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the air of the wicked. He goes on to say in verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying the only way you're going to recognize error is if you grow in the truth, if you understand the truth. And oh, by the way, be careful because so many have twisted the scriptures, Jeff, to fit maybe something that they hope the Bible taught or that they want to assert that the Bible taught, so they twist the scriptures to fit the truth that they want to be true, right? Yeah, good points. You know, the only thing I might emphasize, leveraging, I think it was Deuteronomy chapter 4, where 
the one that I, I quoted with Moses. There's several different ways, and maybe maybe just primarily if it boils down to maybe three different ways that false teaching, false doctrine occurs, according to Deuteronomy 4. First is if you want to add to what God has said. And say, yeah, I know God said this, but you know, here's some more stuff, right? No. Take away from. It's like, yeah, I know God said that, but we don't need to do it. In fact, you can kind of see those two reflected at the very end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19. You know, contextually, you know, John is writing about the words of the prophecy of this particular book, but could in principle be applied to the, the rest of the Bible. He writes, for I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things that are written in this book. So adding stuff to, taking away from, and Brian, as you wrapped up your section, twisting what's there to teach something different. So maybe primarily three ways that, that our uh, listeners need to kind of keep in mind as we go forward. Uh, any comments, Brian, before we go into the next section? That's very well stated, and you're right. It boils down to those three things, and I guess that makes it easier for us to recognize that, right? So, yeah, appreciate you bringing that up. Exactly. So when you kicked off the podcast, you made a comment about systems of teaching, systems of false teaching that have been developed by men. And you know, as I said, th this is an area that we want to you know, kind of be a little on the plain side. And if the various groups or denominations that I mentioned you happen to belong to, you know, I would certainly encourage you to you know, take this in the spirit in which it's offered. You know, not get upset, but actually you know, kind of think about it and dig into the scriptures. For example, a, a couple groups that, that sort of at least come into my mind as they have this you know, system of false teaching that when you really dig into it, it's very different than what the scriptures say. For example, if you dig into the Jehovah's Witnesses with the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, there's a lot of doctrines they teach that basically are, are not true. Digging into Mormonism, uh, Joseph Smith, Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, etc. A system, if you will. Mary Baker Eddy, who wrote Science and Health with a Key to the Scriptures. Uh, Church of Christ Scientist. The alleged inspired writings of Ellen G. White, uh, Seventh-day uh, Adventism. And even within maybe more mainstream Christianity, if you look at Calvinism, once saved, always saved, faith only, total inherited depravity, that's kind of a, a system as well that we would assert based on the scriptures that these doctrines are often either assembled by men, either by adding to that we mentioned earlier, like the writings of, you know, Ellen G. White and Mary Baker Eddy, etc., Book of Mormon, for example, taking away from or, or, or twisting. And admittedly, you know, some of what these various systems teach, you know, there may be some truth, but it's intermixed and intermingled with you know, a considerable amount of, of false doctrine, uh, which sort of, you know, taints the whole thing. Now, nothing new under the sun, you know, even in Jesus' time, Jesus pointed out that the Pharisees of his day, and actually to some degree the Sadducees as well, you know, had developed their own uh, traditions. And by doing so, they were uh, condemned by Jesus. You know, we see an example of that in Matthew chapter 15, in the first nine verses, where the 
Pharisees were condemning Jesus' disciples for not doing some traditions, which Jesus responds and says, well, now, wait a minute. You have some traditions that violate the word of God. So anyway, Brian, do you want to go ahead and read? How about start with Matthew chapter 15, verses 1, and maybe go through verse 9. Sure. Here it says, Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and mother, and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have, receive from me as a gift to God. Then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Right. And you know, I think the pivotal part of that passage is the very last part, that when you start you know, adding to, taking from, or twisting, you know, you're now basically teaching the commandments of men. And more importantly, in verse 9, your worship is now vain, pointless, empty, you know, to no avail. And in fact, in that passage, Jesus goes on in chapter 14 to not only condemn the religious leaders, but also those who follow them. And of course, there's a lesson for that for you know us today about blindly following the pastor or the preacher or the father or the rabbi, whatever, who is promoting some doctrine. And we say, well, you know, they're highly educated. We're just going to go ahead and follow them. They're notable. They study. I'm just going to do what they say. Well, no, because what Jesus says in verse 14 of Matthew 15 talks about them being blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. And therein, we understand that physically and by application spiritually, the great danger for us to just blindly follow our religious leaders. If they're teaching false doctrine, they'll be condemned. And if we follow that false doctrine, so will we. Right? Yeah, I love that statement by Jesus, because that really helps us to understand what's happening here. And, you know, the next question some might ask is, well, how do I recognize a false teacher? How do I know if they're a false teacher? You know, what are the methods? What are the behaviors that would allow me to identify a false teacher? And that's a very good question. So let's see what the Bible says. How does the Bible answer that? Well, you know, establishing traditions, as Jeff was just talking about with the, the Pharisees, or, you know, man-made truths, teaching methods that conflict, for instance, with what is plainly stated the, in the Bible. Well, that's one way. So, once again, if whatever somebody's teaching is not matching with what the Scriptures teach, well, that's one of the biggest red flags, if you will. So, if we go over to Colossians chapter 2. You know, here in this chapter, we see an example of what we're talking about here of those who wanted to bind elements of the old covenant after Jesus established a new covenant with his death on the cross. So Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 16, 
Let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a new festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance uh, is of Christ. He says in verse 18, Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concerning things, or which all concern things, which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things, he says in verse 23, indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So when you first read this, unless you understand the context, it might be like, what is this talking about? Well, there were certain traditions, as we once again talked about, that the Pharisees implemented. And there were also some elements of the old law, which they were to observe, but which were no longer in effect when Jesus brought about the new covenant. So, for instance, one example would be the eating of certain kinds of meats. Under the old law, they were prohibited. Under the new law, they were allowed. And so, you know, here you have the Pharisees and others who were trying to bind elements of the old law that were no longer in effect, or they were trying to bind their own traditions as it relates to food or drink or festivals and these sorts of things. And Paul here is saying that, you know, these might appear to be wise, but they're not authorized by Scripture. So don't let anybody try to bind on you something that you can't find in Scripture. And another way that you can recognize or you should be aware of that would help you to identify a false teacher is, you know, they they will use smooth speech and flattering words to deceive. And so Paul says that we should avoid teachers like this. Jeff, could I get you to read Romans 16, verses 17 and 18? Sure. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. So once again, this is kind of like, Jeff, I guess like in the Old West, right? A snake oil salesman, right? Or somebody. <laughs> really? <laughs> they had these smooth words, and this will heal all of your ills, your diseases, and, and these kinds of things. Well, spiritually, the false teachers will do very similar things. They'll tell you things that just sound fantastic. You also, they might say, can enjoy the gifts of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. And when they say speak in tongues, they're not talking about you know, some foreign language you don't know, but some unintelligible language that only the Holy Spirit understands. Well, we know that's not true from many passages, but the key thing here is, as it says in verse 17, they ultimately will cause divisions. And so you could take a look at a local congregation. Somebody comes in with smooth words and flattering speech. They lead people away and they divide that congregation in half because they have convinced them of some false doctrine. So once again, whether it's smooth words or just any words, we have to compare what they're teaching with God's Word. And 
So, you know, when you think about all of the different claims man has made throughout time, whether it's spiritual gifts or being able with those spiritual gifts to do things like perform miracles. Well, Jesus warned us about this. And he said in Matthew 24, 24, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So in other words, those who are Christians. And so we just have to watch out for that because, Jeff, I don't know, I guess if it sounds fantastic, it's probably not true. Or maybe it's that old saying, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. You know, So if they're saying something that's new, maybe that in and of itself should be a big red flag. Well, and while you were talking, my mind kind of went in, in a couple different directions. One was, you know, there are some people that have almost a gift uh, of public speaking. And they can just, you know, mesmerize the audience with very engaging, you know, speech and the words they use, the illustrations they use, the jokes that they tell, the stories they tell, and really kind of capture up the audience. And it, like I said, it's like a gift. I mean, they're, they're wonderful orators. But, as you indicated, that doesn't necessarily mean what they're saying is true. The other thought that occurred to me is that you know there are some doctrines out there that that sound really good like all you have to do to be saved is accept jesus christ as your personal savior right or say a short prayer and you're saved and at that point and beyond it doesn't really matter how you live because you know god will see jesus and Jesus' righteousness he doesn't really see you and so this kind of a, you know, faith only, once saved, always saved, sounds really good. Uh, unfortunately, it's omitting a lot of things that the scriptures uh, do talk about, you know, talk about taking away from and result in kind of a, a partial incomplete salvation and many people being lost. So, yeah, exactly. You know, watch out for smooth speakers. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean they're wrong. Just be careful unless you get sort of sucked into the oratory. Yes. As well as, you know, watch out for things that sound too good to be true. Good points. And it goes back to kind of what you were saying about the blind leading the blind. They both fall in the ditch. It's been my experience over the years that a lot of people are led astray because they're ignorant of the truth. And that's why our listeners, you know, may hopefully not get tired of us saying, confirm what is taught in the Bible. If you're not knowledgeable of the truth, and you can be led astray by a whole lot of things. Exactly. Uh, someone might ask, well, what's motivating these people? What's the intention? Where where are they trying to go with you know this false teaching, et cetera? Well, it depends. There's a variety of reasons. I mean, one, as revealed in the scriptures, is sometimes they like to be the center of attention, you know, to, to draw disciples after themselves. In fact, Paul warned the elders uh, from the church of Ephesus of this very thing in Acts 20 verses 28 through 30. There he warns them, therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, this is verse 30, also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. So a sense of pride can be a reason, one of the intentions of false teaching, false teachers. 
Another sometimes is to what we might say justify sinful behavior and suppress the truth. You know, sometimes, you know, even in today's culture, people will take what is evil and call it good and take what is good and call it evil, where sinners are glorified and those who are righteous are, are vilified. Now, you can read about that in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, and including in the New Testament over in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 25. Hey, Brian, do you want to uh, go into that passage? And, you know, if you want to read the whole passage, that's fine. Or if you want to kind of, you know, select verses out of there, either way. Yeah, let's maybe just summarize the first few verses where Paul's talking about the gospel and how it's the power of God to salvation, he says in verse 16, to everyone who believes. So it's powerful in that it transforms your lives. It helps you to be uh, forgiven of sin when you're obedient and baptized. In verse 17, he says, in it, speaking of the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And so, you know, the scriptures reveals the truth from God's word and therefore is very powerful once again when we apply it to our lives. And then he goes on in verse 18 to talk about how there's, you know, wrath from God against everyone who's ungodly and unrighteous, it says there. And then it says, of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So that's a willful intent to suppress the truth. And then it goes on in verse 19 to talk about it's manifest in them. So when you look at somebody's behaviors and say they're a drunkard and they're drinking daily and they're justifying their drinking. Well, to justify it, they would have to present some false doctrine, if you will, to say that it's okay to drink and, and be drunk and so forth. But really, it's more about also not acknowledging that there is a God, that he has the right to tell us how to live. And, you know, verse 20 says, you know, since the creation, God's attributes are, are invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So when we look at the organization of the universe, we look at all the creation around us, it speaks to a supreme being. But these people who sin and justify sin, they refuse to acknowledge that. In fact, verse 21 goes on to say, because also they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. What does that result in? They became futile in their thoughts, verse 21. Their foolish hearts were darkened. And then it goes on in verse 22. Professing to be wise, they become fools. They change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Verse 24 says, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So Jeff, it's like God saying, if you want to be warped and sin and, you know, totally ignore him, then he's going to allow you to do that, right? He's going to allow you to go down that path, if you will. Well, exactly. You know, since I mentioned, you know, Old Testament, New Testament, modern day, you know, calling good, evil, evil, good, you know, I'm reminded of, of and I don't want to get, you know, political here, but, you know, there's a lot of topics in our modern culture, particularly here in the United States, that have a spiritual dimension that those who claim to be Christians want to go along with various worldly ways. And I'm since you're in Romans chapter one, you know, if you if our listeners continue reading down in the first chapter of Romans, 
Verse 24, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. And if you kind of read through the context, they're talking about homosexual relationships, which in our modern day culture with the LGBTQ plus movement is a very popular movement. And even those who profess to be Christians belong to congregations and religious denominations that say that's fine, perfectly fine. In fact, some of their clergy or some of the people in charge, you know, are practicing homosexuals. Well, Romans chapter one says, no, that's not right. Or, you know, people who say, uh, you know, regarding abortion, that, you know, it's a woman's choice and they condemn people that would speak out on behalf of the unborn. Uh, etc. And, you know, there there's some other, you know, modern day topics that we see even alleged Christians kind of going along with the flow and trying to reinterpret the scriptures to justify these kinds of things. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as we see in the Old Testament, for instance, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 15, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them alike, are an abomination to the Lord. Uh, Brian, any uh, quick thoughts before I continue on? That's pretty powerful, that passage, isn't it? Because to your point, it's not just that people themselves are justifying their own sin, but as you've touched on, many religious organizations are now also saying, oh, sure, it's fine, go ahead, it's it's your right to choose, blah, 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 right? So, yeah, as this passage says, that, that attitude is also an abomination. To right. Well, and even, Brian, things that have become extremely common, and I'm kind of thinking about things like marriage and divorce and remarriage, you know, I would tend to say that most quote-unquote Christian denominations don't see a problem with that. And yet, Matthew 19.9, Matthew 5, both, you know, speak to the very restrictive nature of divorce. Which certainly is, is counterculture in our in our modern times. And as you indicated, you know, sometimes not only are there false teachers, but sometimes people will seek out false teachers to justify what they want to do. Second uh, Timothy chapter four comes to mind, uh, beginning with verse three. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. So it's not that there's just false teachers out there that attract people. Sometimes people will seek false teachers. And, you know, a reason why false teachers exist is there are people that want to go along with it, be willing to give them encouragement, moral support, financial support, even to the point of heaping up <laughs> amassing a whole pile, if you will, of these kinds of teachers that teach what they want to be taught. So there, there's another you know, danger that we need to be aware of. The other thing I, I might also add to kind of wrap up this section, Brian, then I'll turn it back over to you, is sometimes, as we mentioned earlier, sometimes there are false religious systems, most notably those that claim modern-day revelation. You know, as we already mentioned, Joseph Smith with Mormonism, Mary Baker Eddy, Ellen G. White, etc. That, you know, again, have they have this system of teaching that they've bought into 
even though it adds to, takes from, or, you know, twists what the scriptures say. You know, the Apostle John, you know, warns us, First uh, John chapter 2, beginning with verse 24 through 27. Again, a lot of warning. Therefore, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. Again, talking about, you know, the gospel, true doctrine. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you, you shall abide in him. And I think, Brian, you, you know, you had that uh, the saying you mentioned about if, if it's new, it's probably not true. <laughs> if it's something that is not in keeping with the scriptures, you know, again, add, take away from and or twist. Be careful, you know, better look at it with a, uh, with a magnifying glass, so to speak, and not get sucked into it just because it sounds good or just because the person's a smooth talker or just because the religion is a very popular religion, et cetera. Brian, how about you? Yeah, you know, Jeff, we get a lot of questions to the website. I know you know that because you administer, but as you know, we get a lot of questions regarding where people are confused because they hear so many different doctrines from so many different teachers. And, you know, they just come asking, like, how can I recognize who's teaching the truth and who's not? And, you know, as we, the premise of this podcast is, it's the Bible that's the only source that will allow us to recognize false teachers. And so that's really the next question we want to consider. You know, how do I recognize false teachers? How do I know what the true religion is that I should be following? And so, you know, there's a principle out there in the world for different countries where, you know, most countries have problems with counterfeit money. And so, you know, as a result, the government will train people to recognize counterfeit bills by teaching them first to recognize and understand all of the aspects of what real money looks like. And once they understand what real money looks like, well, then it's much easier to spot a counterfeit. Well, the same really applies to the truth. You know, we can recognize false teaching, right, this counterfeit, by knowing the truth. And so it's so essential to know the truth because otherwise you could easily be duped, if you will, by the smooth words and flattering speech and, and so forth. And so over in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it says, be diligent, right? Give your very best effort, it says, to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So that passage says it's our responsibility to correctly divide the truth. We shouldn't rely on the preacher, the pastor, or a friend to tell us. Now, they could certainly, especially if they're a Christian, help us to understand the truth. But ultimately, even if we feel like they're a very sound Christian, a very sound preacher, we still have to compare, much like the Bereans did, with what they're teaching, with what God's Word says. And so, you know, Jesus says really one of the easiest ways that you can know whether or not somebody's a false teacher is by their fruits. So Jeff, if I could get you to read Matthew 7, 15 through 23. Okay. Starting verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. 
Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Now, we got a couple of verses here that are very, very important. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Wonderful passages there. It's when you think about fruit, and I like this analogy by Jesus. You know, if you go to an apple tree, you don't expect to see pears on it. And so by the fruit you see on that tree, you say, hey, that's an apple tree. <laughs> you know, you know that. Well, spiritually, it's the same way. By what they are teaching, that's their fruits. And as Jesus mentions here, he who does the will of the Father, well, how do we know what the will of the Father is? Through the scriptures. Okay, so are they practicing what God has outlined in the scriptures? Then yes, that's good fruit. You should follow it. But once again, as we've stated throughout this podcast, if they are teaching something that is not found, they're claiming Lord, Lord, and they're not, much like Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? And so ultimately, you have to follow the truth, and then ultimately, you have to understand the truth to know whether someone, what someone's teaching is consistent with God's Word. So very important principle there, Jeff, and I will turn it over to you. Yeah, you can kind of take this in a couple of different ways. I mean, one way is people who are hypocrites, meaning, yeah, they'll teach one thing, but they'll behave in another way. Okay, there's that. You can view, <laughs> I'm kind of thinking back to the uh, days of popular you know, TV evangelists, where you know smooth talking talking about the gospel and yet in their lives you know misappropriation of money and and buying mansions and jet airplanes etc the other thing that i think we've kind of mentioned already is they're teaching things that allow themselves and others to kind of get away with various sins hence if you look at their fruit, yeah, they're not really living the way they should be living, although they're claiming that the Bible justifies such behavior. So anyway, there's the teaching, there's the person, there's the attitudes and, and, and the actions, right? So there's all different kinds of ways, kind of, if you will, of, of recognizing you know, false doctrine when it shows its ugly face, so to speak. Yes, that is so true. So how about this question, Jeff? What if somebody says, you know, how can I combat or resist a false teacher or false teaching? What do I need to do? That's a good question. And I think one aspect which we try to emphasize is to test the teaching, meaning measure it against what the scriptures say. I mean, even if they offer scripture, Go into the passage, read the passage, look at the definition and the context and the other passages that deal with the same subject, etc. First John chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 6 kind of come to mind. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. 
by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. Of course, he's referring to inspired apostles. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So, testing the spirits, testing the preachers, testing the writings, whatever the case may be, to see if it's consistent with true knowledge of the scriptures. Another way of resisting, as we've kind of alluded to, you know, don't get caught up, if you will, carried away by either the smooth talking or carried away with the false doctrine because it's something that, that looks attractive just like that fruit looked to Eve in the garden. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 talks about that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Again, reminds me of you know, Genesis chapter 3 as an example. Another thing to resist false teaching, false teachers, not associate with them. 2 John 9, verses 9 through 11. Uh, Whoever transgresses does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. How about continuing to follow what's true? Uh, 2 Timothy 3, verses 13 and 14 that warns, again, another warning, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, verse 14, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And of course, we have, as we've mentioned before, using the scriptures, you know, to refute false teaching, just like Jesus did with Satan when Jesus was tempted, uh, Luke chapter 4, and even be willing to take a stand for the truth. Jude uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Brian, you want to go ahead and read that, and then uh, any comments you might have before we wrap up this section? Yeah, so here it says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I think this passage here not only, of course, exhorts us to contend earnestly for the faith, but to understand and realize that there are certain men who turn the grace of God into lewdness, like you were talking about, Jeff, with some of the behaviors that is accepted in society. And they ultimately, by justifying those behaviors, deny the Lord God. You know, one of the other thoughts I had, Jeff, as you were reading through these different passages, we see in our world today, whether it's the Pentecostal religion, or even you see a lot of community churches, they like to really push spirit-filled worship. And, you know, if you were to attend one of these services or watch them, you know, a lot of them stream online, you'll see people dancing around, waving their hands, there's music. I mean, it sounds like a concert. And 
I bring that up because that can be very appealing. I mean, think about anything that gets you excited and emotional. And you might think in your heart, well, how can that possibly be wrong? This is so encouraging and uplifting. You need to be careful because the worship that we read about in the Bible does not include that. In fact, the very practice of worship is all about God and us glorifying Him through song and prayer and so forth and remembering our Lord's death. That's what worship is. And so I just bring that up because, you know, Jeff, often people can do things because once again, it's exciting. It makes them feel great. And so in their mind, whether it's the unjustified as a means or, hey, how could that be wrong? It's so easy to get carried away based on that type of doctrine. Well, and as we read earlier, I think it was Matthew 7, you know, many, many, which is sad, many will say to Jesus in the judgment day, hey, we recognize you as Lord. We did all this wonderful stuff. And Jesus, unfortunately, has to say, no, not really, not really, which is going to be a very uh, shock to, unfortunately, many people. And we don't want to be one of those people. That's right. (laughs) Bottom line. Okay, so we've got kind of a couple questions like we like to do to sort of wrap up the podcast relay some questions that have been submitted to the website related to the topic and today we'll talk about false teaching false doctrine etc so brian i guess you get the first question from john that says what is the biblical stand on the leadership of church organization where campus ministry churches of christ have delegated power to themselves by having a campus president of the church or other executives like edification leader benevolence leader evangelism leader, other positions, what is wrong with the campus ministry of the Church of Christ to have a title like president and others bearing in mind the leadership criteria set forth in the scriptures? So it's kind of a complex question, but you may have to kind of tease it apart. Yeah, so what we've seen in the religious world for years is, you know, centralized organizations that have positions that you never read about in the Bible. And unfortunately, that's even made its way into the Church of Christ, where whether it's in the United States, whether it's, you know, many other countries for that matter, they unfortunately often adopt some of the false practices of the world. And so one thing that you'll see when you look in the scriptures is there's no scriptural authority for something like a campus president or edification leader or any other kind of leader other than elders. And so, you know, the Bible makes it very clear. It's the work of elders that are appointed in a local congregation to shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers. So Peter talked about that in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2. So you have the elders. You could possibly also under them have deacons that help the elders. But ultimately, the oversight of a local congregation is with two or more men that are qualified to be elders based on what we read about in the scriptures. And so these other positions, clearly then we have to conclude are man-made because the Bible doesn't say anything about it. In fact, you could even extend that to the Pope, for instance, in the Catholic Church and cardinals in the Catholic Church. They are not positions that you read about in the scriptures. Jesus is the head of the church. And so, you know, what we need to make sure of is understanding what God's word teaches And so, therefore, much like we were talking about earlier, so you can recognize any other incorrect organization, if you will. So, you know, when you think about, okay, well, what are the the responsibilities of an elder? Well, it's to shepherd the flock, as it mentions. And this includes things like 
making sure the truth of God's word is taught and adhered to, Titus 1.9, to ensure that false teachers do not come into the church, or if they do, and men rise up, like we read in Acts chapter 20 earlier, uh, verses 28 through 31, they start to rise up and bring up things that are, are principles that are not taught in God's word, or the elders put a stop to that. And so they have a host of responsibilities, but ultimately, you know, whether it's making sure the evangelist is preaching the truth or making sure the members are living as God would expect them to, all of that oversight falls to elders. And those elders are in subjection to Jesus, who has authority over the church. So Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. So Jesus is the only one that has the authority. The elders are accountable to Jesus. And then ultimately the elders are accountable to oversee a congregation. So therefore, you know, for John, any other man-made positions we should conclude are ungodly and should be completely rejected and opposed. Now, one other quick point I'll make, Jeff, and then I'll turn it over to you. You know, it's not uncommon for different states like here in the United States or different countries to require there to be a designation of president and treasurer and so forth in religious organizations from a civil and legal perspective. And they really do that so that there's some accountability. So let's say some incident occurs within a congregation. The government wants to be able to go to somebody and say, okay, well, you're listed as the president of this organization. So, you know, we're going to ask you about this incident. But that's just to meet civil law. That doesn't mean that that is a position that matches with what the Bible teaches. So, you know, they don't carry authority in the church, I guess is my point. And so anyone who would claim that these are real positions in the Lord's church are, are really false teachers, because as we talked about, Jesus is the head of the church, the elders are responsible for the oversight, and those positions of president, treasurer, and so forth are simply to meet our civil obligations. So hopefully that makes sense, Jeff, and, and I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, that's a good point, because I know there's some legal documentation that our congregation is required to fill out for the state government, you know, here in Colorado. And they use terms that we don't really acknowledge, like you're indicating, like president, that, you know, from their perspective, they has this term, as you said, someone that we can contact if anything goes on, which, you know, we certainly don't then turn around and say, oh, well, Joe is President Joe and, you know, Vice President Jane and you know, et cetera. It's like, no, 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 no. As you said, it's in some cases it's it's a legal civil kind of thing it has nothing to do with the uh, the roles with the local congregation. You know, the other thing I just might uh, touch briefly, and you mentioned it, but I'll highlight it. You talked about you know the work of elders is to shepherd the flock, serving as overseers. It's interesting that in a New Testament language perspective, there are equivalent terms. That in today's world, a lot of people want to make a distinction. Elders, shepherds, pastors, overseers, bishops, presbyters, etc. All those terms are descriptive of the same office, you know, that of the elders. Today, people want to say, well, you know, we have a pastor. Well, that's like the preacher. Or yes, we have bishops and elders. Or we have elders and overseers. Or it's like, no, wait a minute. If you want to use biblical language to describe biblical things, all of those are synonyms. And as you pointed out, at least according to uh, Titus and I think First Timothy, they have to meet certain qualifications to be qualified as elders. So I just thought I'd mention that as well. Yeah, good thoughts. Appreciate that. And the last question we'll answer, Jeff, for you comes from Basayo. And Basayo asks, the Bible says... 
every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Does that mean that if a pastor preaches Jesus as the Messiah, whilst at the same time preaching a bunch of other false doctrines like females and authority being allowed by God, that pastor is still not a false teacher? And simply speaking, the answer is no. They they are a false teacher. Now, let's go back for a little bit of background. Sounds like Maceo has 1 John 4 in mind, verses 1 through 3, which we quoted earlier about not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. And one of the tests that John offers, at least in that passage, those that confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Now, if you understand a little bit of New Testament history, there were people that later, I think, would be known as the Gnostics that would deny that deity came and dwelt in a fleshly material body. And John is saying, hey, that is false doctrine. That yes, indeed, God, the word, God, the son, the word, First John 1, it indeed come to this world, dwelt within a physical body, etc. And that you need to confess that, that, that that is truth, that you are of God if you confess that. But I think what Baseo is thinking is, well, okay, so if they confess just that, does that mean everything else is okay? Well, no. I mean, again, you have to kind of look at the context. And look at all the scriptures that talk about true teaching, false teaching, etc. Certainly, we need to confess that Jesus came in the flesh. I mean, John 1, uh, verses uh, 1, 2, and 14. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Certainly teach that. But, you know, as we've seen previously in today's podcast, anyone who claims to be teaching God's word, if they teach other doctrines... That are false, you know, adding to, taking from, twisting. They're still teaching false doctrines, still a false teacher. And honestly, it this concept of a false teacher doesn't necessarily mean the person is insincere. Sometimes you have very sincere, very convicted people. Yeah. They're still teaching wrong. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're living a lavish, sinful lifestyle. Sometimes people are very sincere, trying to live a good moral life, but they're still teaching false doctrine. So, I mean, if you kind of boil it down, it's always what they teach. It can also include their lifestyle and their attitudes. Bottom line is it's what they teach. Right? any thoughts before we wrap it up for the day? Yeah, I really appreciate that last point. You're right. I mean, they could just be sincerely wrong. And there are definitely many people that are fully convinced that what they're believing and teaching is correct. But as we pointed out, Matthew 7, many will say to me, but it's only those who do the will of the Lord uh, that will have that chance of eternal life. Right. Well, and I think a lot of the verses that we've given to our listeners today are associated with deceiving, being deceived. Many in that day will make these claims. So indeed, there's a lot of warnings that we just need to be extra diligent, extra careful test the spirits, see what's being said, don't take it at face value, dig into the scriptures, and through diligent Bible study, kind of arrive at what the truth is. So as we sort of conclude our podcast, like we always like to do, we would strongly encourage our listeners to visit our website at biblequestions.org, where we've got a lot of material. Now, with respect to today's topic, uh, if you go under the topics menu item and pick the letter F or false teaching, 
A for authority, T for truth, C for Christian living, as well as, you know, when we were mentioning things like Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses, etc., you know, we've got some material under those topics as well. Bottom line is, please come to our website, please read and study the material, and look up the scripture references, dig into the Bible, see what it says, and apply it to your lives. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website, biblequestions.org, where you can submit a Bible question to be answered. And you can also search archives where we have answered several hundred Bible questions over the years. Our website also has a host of free Bible study material, free correspondence courses, as well as sermons and a host of other material. Please stop by and check it out.